To be fair to both teams that are playing in the Super Bowl today, I really did try to find a Tom Brady State Farm commercial, just to be honest with you. But apparently Tom Brady is not a good neighbor, um, and so he doesn't make State Farm commercials. I'm just kidding. I don't know if he is a good neighbor. He probably has so many millions that people don't even know they're his neighbor because he lives back in the woods somewhere. But I do know that he doesn't make State Farm commercials. And so I tried to be fair, but that's all you can end up with right there. Um, State Farm has been using the Like a Good Neighbor jingle for almost 50 years. Some of you may know they started it, uh, first using it in 1971, and some of you may even know that it was written by Barry Manilow, right? So think of all the things that Barry Manilow has written. This is probably the most popular one right here. It's probably lasted longer than anything else. Um, but a few years ago, they tried to move away from the jingle uh, because they said that it kind of it really didn't showcase all the company had to offer. You see, besides insurance, they offer investment options and real estate dealings. And so they wanted to kind of say that, hey, we're not just here when bad stuff happens to you. Like, we really are here to, to keep you on track. And, and we're there when good stuff is going on and keep your life going right. Um, but they found out that people didn't respond as well to the commercials as they had hoped and uh, that people really didn't like it when they moved away from the jingle. And so uh, they've kind of moved back towards the, the Like a Good Neighbor jingle in the last couple of years. In fact, one of the executives in the marketing said that being a good neighbor has been and always will be part of, D of State Farm's DNA. Like a good neighbor, we are there not only when things go wrong, but when to help things go right as well. And I thought it was so funny, like even in talking about the jingle, she uses the jingle in talking about the jingle, that it really is just part of their DNA. It's kind of their language that just flows through them. And for us who are Christians, being a good neighbor should be part of our DNA as well. In fact, we talked last week about the two great commands that Christ gave us. The one is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he follows it up very quickly and says the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so being a good neighbor, to love our neighbor, is part of who we are. It's part of what we strive to. And last week we looked at the first part of Proverbs 3, uh, that wisdom showed us what it looked like to love God with all our heart. What kind of heart loves God completely? And today we're going to finish Proverbs chapter 3, the very last part of the proverb or the chapter, excuse me, with this idea of what does it look like to be a good neighbor? If we're going to be a good neighbor, we're going to follow the words of wisdom, what does that look like? And so we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, um, and we're going to continue through the end of the chapter. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, follow along with me, or you can follow along with the screens uh, that are beside me. But Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, says that when it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one it belongs to. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later. I'll give it to tomorrow when it is there with you. Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you and he lives near you. Don't accuse anyone without cause when he has done you no harm. Don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the devious are detestable to the Lord, but he is a friend to the upright. The Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked, but his blessings on the home of the righteous. He mocks those who mock but gives grace to the humble. The wise one here at honor, but he holds up fools to dishonor. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we have, we have sang from our hearts and from the abundance of our souls this morning. God, we have uh, risen to, to raise a hallelujah to you, God, to raise our hands, our voices, our song. Uh, God, all in response to, to the fact that you loved us when we were so unlovable. God, not to earn your blessings, not to earn your grace, but God, simply out of response to what you have already done for us. God, this morning I pray that as we work through this passage, 
It is not just a sermon that we hear. It's not just a message. It's not just a, a words that we read on a page. God, I honestly pray that this is a passage that challenges us to live differently tomorrow than today and live differently today than yesterday. God, I pray that this passage challenges us to move out of this building and move out of our homes and the walls that confine us into the neighborhoods around us, God, and it moves us to be on mission for you all the time. To realize, God, that folks need the message that we have and they're desperate for it. So, God, I pray this morning that you challenge us to be good neighbors. To love our neighbors as you have loved us beyond how we love ourselves. God, let us live on mission from this moment forward, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are times that you will pray something and God gives you a very quick, very obvious answer. And in fact, sometimes it's so obvious that you, you either overlook it or you intentionally have to look for a reason or excuse why that is not the answer that's right in front of you. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those situations where you're praying for something and all of a sudden, bam, it's just right there in front of you. All right? But I honestly had one of those situations this past week and I want to share it with you um, because you guys get to be or, or have been part of it. So you just didn't know it. So um, several, a couple weeks ago, our church got the opportunity through our partnership with the Baptist State Convention in North Carolina. They have a partnership with the USDA um, that we get food boxes. And so they put out this email to pastors and church leaders. Hey, if your church would like to receive these food boxes that you can give out to whoever you want to, um, then we've, we've got some available. We think, let us know how many you think you would need or you could use. And so the idea is that we could get these boxes, and so we could use them for all kinds of things. And so um, we we applied for this opportunity, and we said this would be great for our quarantine care practice. People are on quarantine, and we've used a couple of them for that. We're, we've dropped them off at people's houses, and um, if I know someone has COVID, my, my response, my actions are a little different. I literally lay them on the front porch, and I run back to my truck really fast, and I text them and be like, hey, there's a surprise on the front porch for you, and then I drive away, right? So we've used some of them for those. We've used some of them just to, to connect with some folks who haven't seen in a while and so those I actually ring the doorbell and I actually talk to the people there with some distance and things like that and then some of them we've used for outreach we've just used them to bless other people with who have no connection to our church whatsoever in fact uh, just this week um, we had a connection with the daycare right next to us and we were able to give a, a ton of our boxes away to employees of the daycare right there right so we've used these boxes in several ways but part of the reason we we're been so able to use them is because when I first heard this opportunity they, like I said they want me to know or they want to know who you are where you're at and how many boxes you think you can distribute through a week all right and so I thought you know what we could distribute probably 15 boxes a week I could come up with a list of 15 people five quarantines five that we want to like 15 boxes probably would not be a problem for us whatsoever. So that's what I told the folks that we want to. Yeah, we want to be part of your program. We want 15 boxes each week. Not a problem. Well, somehow, somewhere in the communication, Jesus found out that somebody was giving away food, and so he did what he does sometimes when people give away food. Like he multiplied that request. And so I got an email back saying, oh, you want 15 boxes? We're going to send you 30 boxes each week. So... Um, suddenly surprised, I'm like, wow, this is a whole different ball game. Like, this is a completely different challenge for us. Um, not what I was expecting. So I talked with some of our deacons and trying to figure out, and like, who can we give these boxes to and, and praying over these boxes. And God, we want to give these boxes to people that can use them. We want to give them to people who are going to be blessed by them. We want to give them to people who are going to see your love through us and giving these boxes. And 
So me and the deacons have been praying. We've been trying to figure out who to give this multitude of food to. Like we've got the 12 extra baskets. We've got 15 extra boxes that we weren't planning on. We're, and we've been praying of who to give these boxes to. And so this Thursday, I went and I picked up our 30 boxes. And I was making some deliveries. And uh, still that prayer because I didn't have 30 people to give them to this week. All right? I really didn't. And so um, we were, I was praying that prayer of God who... Who can I give these boxes to? Like, I, I, I don't want to waste this stuff. I want to make sure it gets to somebody who's going to receive a blessing from it, somebody that's going to know uh, that God loves them and that we have a chance to love on them. And so, God, who is it that I can give these boxes to? All right? And I was praying that, and I was coming up to one of the stops that I had planned. And literally, as I'm saying this prayer, because I know how many I've got on my list, I know how many more extra boxes I have, I literally pulled up to a stop sign, and five feet from me, is a couple sitting on the side of the road that's holding up a cardboard sign. And I don't know what all their signs said. I know the top of it said, Love Matters, but I don't know what the rest of it said. And I was like, all right, God, I see what you're doing here. Like, here I am praying. Here I literally, literally have a truckload of food in the back of my truck, praying of who to give this food to, and literally five feet from me is a couple saying they need food. I got you, God. I see what you're doing here, okay? So this is the obvious answer to my prayer request. And so I pulled into a parking spot there, and I took, uh, got out of my truck, and I took the box of food over to them. And I said, hey, um, I'm a pastor at a church, and we've been blessed with these food boxes. And, and I was just wondering if I could give you one, if you wouldn't mind if I gave you one of these food boxes. And the guy just kind of looked at me like, um, dude, we're sitting on the side of the road with a box that says we need food, and you're asking if we mind if you give us food. And so he said, I mean, sure, yeah, we'll take one. And so we had a few moments where we just had a quick conversation, and nothing huge in depth, nothing great. Theolog- don't, don't hear me say, like, we split heaven open or anything like that. Like, we just had a simple conversation, just me and this man and this lady there. And uh, so just this simple conversation. We, and, and then I got ready to turn and leave because I had other things that I had to get done. I had other boxes to deliver. And the man stopped me. He said, I just want to thank you for your kindness. Not just for this box of food, but you actually stopped and you had a conversation with us. And I just want to thank you for that. And I want to tell you that God bless you and your church for doing this. And so, if I didn't make tears like I am right now, I said, buddy, you have no idea the blessing that God has given me right now in this moment. You see, I don't know their whole story. I don't even know if the story they told me is true or not. And I don't care. What I do know is that God had a box of food for them planned long before I ever even thought about it. And it got me to thinking how often we pray for things and how often we are seeking after wisdom and God has already answered it right there in front of us, so obvious, that yet we often overlook it. Think about this past year. How often have we as Christians been praying for our nation? I mean, it's, it, I hear it all the time. We're praying for our nation. We want revival in our nation. We want our nation to turn back to God. And so we've been praying this for years now, not just this past year, but for years. And so what if the answer to that question has already been given to us? What if the, the fact that we've been praying, God, what can we do? What is our part? What can our government, what, God, what can we do to turn this nation around to you? What can we do to, to fix all this going on in our nation and our world? What if the answer was so obviously right in front of us that God said, I've already given you that answer. Just open your eyes and see the cardboard sign that's right in front of you. You see, because in Proverbs chapter 3, he's already given us the answer to this question. 
What are we going to do to make our world look more like we want it to? What are we going to do to make our nation look like we want it to, to turn back to God? The answer is so simple. He's already told us, love your neighbor as yourself. And the very first step of that is show kindness to somebody. Use what God has already given you. You don't have to create. You don't have to be inventive. Just use what He's given you already and show kindness or goodness to somebody else. You see, I think that's the simple, honest answer to the prayers that we've been praying so often for our nation. Let's look at the text, and he shows us this very clearly. This is the honest answer that that is so right in front of us. It's so clear that this is the answer to what God is calling us to do and what we have been praying for. Simply show kindness to those that are around us. In fact, in verse 37, he says that when it is in your power... Don't withhold good from the one it belongs to. Now, this word good can honestly be translated and understood two different ways. All right? It can be understood as wealth and riches. And so that understanding would mean that like, you don't withhold like, wages from someone who's earned it. So if someone has come to do work for you, or if, if they've uh, done a service for you, don't withhold what you agreed to. Pay them what you agreed to pay them. Don't withhold that from them because they worked for it, they earned it. And so, excuse me. Got me all going this morning. Um, so don't withhold what they, you owe them. And so the other way this word can be translated is don't withhold simply kindness or goodness. You see, that's a broader understanding of this word because it's not limited to income. It's just showing kindness or showing goodness to anybody. All right? So when you have the power, show them kindness. And I'm a little inclined to believe that Solomon really means that broader sense in this word, right? And there's a couple reasons I believe that. First of all, um, the, I, I believe he uses this word tobe, which is the good in this verse. I believe he uses the Hebrew in the broader sense of kindness and goodness for two reasons. One, because he speaks a ton about money and riches and wealth and wages and debt. He talks about tons of that throughout the book of Proverbs. In fact, we're going to get into those a little later as we dig in this book a little more. But very rarely does he ever use this word for those things. Okay? He'll often use this word to describe like a characteristic of someone. So a good person or, or good riches or, or, or uh, kind, you know, um, kind spirited or something like that. So he mo- most often uses it that way throughout the book. That's not saying he can't use it for wages, but most time he doesn't. But I really think the other reason that uh, he, he uses it in this broader sense of just goodness and kindness for everybody really goes back to the first part of verse thir- or 27. He says, he opens the verse and he says, when it's in your power. Now, honestly, if you've got a different translation, that's at the end of the verse. All right, and that's all right. But this is the phrase, when it's in your power. It literally means when you hold something in your hand, when something is in your hand. When you have the opportunity or the ability to do it, right? Which gives the impression this is not a financial obligation because if it was a financial obligation that you owed, he would say, oh, you pay your debts, right? Not when you have the power to. Not just this is an option or an opportunity, not a demand or an obligation. So I really believe he means this kind of broader sense of showing kindness and showing um, goodness to other people. And so he's not just talking about debt or finances and things like that. He's talking about this goodness that we have. Don't withhold what you have. Don't withhold the blessings and the goodness that God has given you from other people. And so I want you to think for just a minute. If that's what he's saying, if that's what it takes to be a good neighbor, then we've got to take a little bit of stock. So if we're told not to withhold goodness or not to withhold kindness from those that are around us, I want you to just think for just a minute. 
What is it that God has put in your hand to hold on to? Think about it for just a minute. What is it that you have, that you possess, that you hold in your hand, that God has blessed you with, that, that is a blessing to you? What is that? For me, last Thursday, it was literally a truckload of food in the back of my truck. But for all of us, there is so much that God has given us, blessed us with, put in our hands to watch over, to care for. And there's so much. For you guys that are sitting and you're watching online right now, just take a look around you at your house. Look at all the stuff that you... You are literally surrounded with stuff that God has put in your hands. For you guys that are here this morning, look around you. You're not at your home, but you are still literally surrounded with stuff that God has put in your hands. Good stuff. You're all wearing clothes, thank goodness. You all got here somehow this morning. So you drove in some kind of vehicle that got you here. They're going to get you home. Most of you are going to leave here and you're going to go somewhere to eat or you're going to go eat something. You're going to have a Super Bowl party or you're going to watch it with your... You've got stuff. Let's be honest. In America, we have never... Never known what it was like to be without stuff. We've never known what it's like to have nothing in our hand because we've always had the riches of God. We've always had the blessings of God. Even our poorest people in America still can say they've got more than 90% of the rest of the world. And so we literally are surrounded with stuff that God has put in your hands. And I'm not talking about just physical possessions. I'm talking about skills and talents and, and, and um, financial blessings and possessions. Everything that God has given you, abilities that you have, all that stuff is stuff that God has literally put in your hands. And now here's the question. If you've taken stock while I've said all this, you've been thinking through, look at all this stuff and talents and abilities and skills that God has given me. Here's a, uh, maybe a harder question for you to stomach because it's harder for me to stomach. If God has given us all this and put it all in our hands, then why aren't we being kind and good to those that are around us? If you are sitting at home right now and you are staring at all the stuff that God has given you, you guys that are here, you're going to go home and you're going to sit around and you're going to stare at all the stuff that God's given you. Why are we sitting on it and not giving it away for kindness and goodness? And I'm not saying go home and just clear out your house and give away everything you own. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying use the stuff that God has given you to be kind and show goodness to someone else. You see, I honestly believe the reason we don't do it is because we're too busy looking for excuses why we can't or shouldn't rather than trusting God with why we should or why we could. We're too busy saying, well, if I do this, if I give this away, if I spend time here, then I won't have time here. Trust God that if He gave it to you the first time, He'll give it back to you the second time. You see, verse 28 simply gives this idea. Stop coming up with excuses because God doesn't want to hear them and nobody else does either. In fact, verse 28, he goes on in that verse and he says in verse 28, he says, don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when it is there with you, when it is there in your hand. You, you, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with that excuse of just come back tomorrow, I'll have it tomorrow. Or, or maybe you've heard it this way, I don't have time right now, but I'll take care of it first thing in the morning. And then tomorrow you call them back and you get that same excuse. I know my dad doing construction, we, we'd have to go. The, the worst part of that job when your dad owns a business is having to go be the, the bill collector. All right? um, and, and I'm not a very good bill collector. All right? Even soaking wet, when I was in middle school, I was like a noodle. All right? So I'm not a very intimidating bill collector. But we had to go collect money from people who owed money from us. And, and so it was this idea of, well, just, 
give me another week. And so my dad was so gracious. He'd give him another week and he'd call him. Well, I'll have it for you tomorrow. And so eventually, after weeks and months and, and months of this, you get the idea you're never going to get that money. They're never going to give you what they told you they were going to. And some of you have felt that. Some of you have been there. But so let's be honest. If you don't like when that happens to you, then why are we doing it to other people? And you're like, oh, no, no, no. I, wouldn't, I would never do that to other people. I would never withhold something good from somebody else. I'd never give them an excuse of just come back later and I'll do it later. But let's be honest, you do it. You may not be that obvious and you may not be that overt with it. You, you may do it in a more of a subtle way. It works like this. You pull up and into your house and your neighborhood or wherever you're at, and, and you, you, there's a neighbor down the road that you hadn't seen or you hadn't talked to in a while, and you're like, you know, I probably should call them or text them. Yeah, but it's kind of late, and I don't want to interrupt their dinner, and so I'll just do it tomorrow. You see, you didn't tell them that, but that's the excuse you gave yourself, and that's the excuse you gave to God. I'll do that tomorrow. And then tomorrow, you, you have that same intent, and so you pull in the driveway, and it's even later, and you're like, well, it's already dark. They're, they'll think I'm weird if I am knock on the door after dark. They'll think it's some stranger coming to rob them or something. I'll just do it some other time. And so then some other time, tomorrow becomes some other time, and some other time, and some other time, until it becomes never. You see, not only that, but maybe you've done it this way, where you've seen something that you could do for someone else. Something simple that, that could be so easy to do. It is something that wouldn't even take time or energy to do it. In fact, yesterday I went for a run and there was some trash laying. Um, I went for a run at the, the elementary school. Probably don't tell people that because I don't know if I'm supposed to be there or not. But um, there was some trash on the track. And so I literally ran around there and I was like, ah, somebody else will get that. And then I was working on this sermon as I'm running. I was like, dude, you can't sit there and run past this trash over and over and over again and tell people they got to do something, okay? So I was like, all right, fine. If the wind doesn't blow it away and it's there my next lap, I'll pick it up. Guess what? The wind wasn't blowing and it was still there, all right? But so often we look for an excuse of, well, if it's there tomorrow, if I see it tomorrow, then I'll take care of it. Don't we, don't we do that all the time? And then we get home tomorrow and it's already dark so we don't see it. So then we got another excuse. Well, I didn't see it. And then a couple of days go past and we're like, well, I'm sure they've already got somebody lined up to take care of that. I mean, surely they've called somebody to take care of that little thing that anybody could do that I could have done in five minutes. Surely they've already got somebody lined up to take care of that. And we come up with these excuses over and over and over again. We come up with all these reasons why we can't do or why we shouldn't do when all the time God is telling us, listen, if you want to be a good neighbor, then start by loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you want to be a good neighbor, then start showing them goodness and kindness. Do it now. Do it when you have the opportunity. When the power is in your hands, do it now. You see, maybe the honest answer to getting our nation back to where we want it to be is simply to live out the words of this passage and simply to live out the words of John Wesley who once said, Do all the good that you can in all the ways that you can with all the souls that you can in every place that you can at all the times that you can with all the zeal that you can as long as ever you can. You see, maybe the answer to our nation's problem isn't some program or step or anything like that. Maybe it is simply that we as Christians learn to love our neighbor as ourselves and we start by showing kindness to them. We start by showing what it looks like to be loved by God and we love them the same way. I want you to imagine something for just a second. Today, there are over 200 million Christians in the United States alone. Did you hear that? Over 200 million million Christians in the United States alone. 
You want to turn this nation back to God? You want people to, to come back to God? Imagine what it would happen if 200 million people did something for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Imagine what the impact would be if 200 million people did something, made a phone call, picked up trash. Imagine if 200 million people did something so simple and so showed kindness just to one person. If you only did it once a month. Once a week, could you imagine if we just did it one time? What this world would look like, what our nation would look like if 200 million people who profess to be Christians lived out this text, we loved our neighbors, and we showed kindness to them. Could you imagine what that would do to our nation and to our world? You see, one thing it would do is start changing how we look at our neighbors because we wouldn't just look for them to show kindness. We would make us a much more peaceful place because it would make it much easier to live in peace with our neighbors. That's the second way that we show love to our neighbors is that we seek to live peacefully with them and to get along with them. And Solomon gives us two examples and two ideas of what this looks like and what this involves. Uh, the first one he tells us in verse 29. In verse 29, he says, Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you and lives near you. Here Solomon brings this idea that to live near somebody requires a certain amount of trust and respect for that person. Think about it for a moment. We all know of areas that we don't want to live, okay? We are blessed to live where we're at, but I can guarantee you that almost anybody in this room, anybody watching at home, I can almost guarantee you that almost any of us can, can list a place that we don't want to live because it's a bad neighborhood, because it's a bad part of town. Because honestly, if we did live there, we'd have so many bolts and locks on our doors that we'd either be afraid to leave or we'd have so many cameras on it because we'd be afraid that when we did leave, somebody would come in and take all our stuff. All right? Nobody wants to live that way. If, if you had to live that way, there'd be such a level of anxiety, such a level of, of discomfort that you would be looking to get out of that place as quickly as you could. And most of us don't live that way. Some people do because they don't have a choice. But if we did have a choice, we would want to get out of that as quick as we could. You see, we want to live around people that we can trust. We want to live around people that we know they, they, they may not have our best intention, but at least they don't have our worst intentions in mind. That We don't have to worry that when we leave our doors or we leave our house, our stuff's going to be gone or our stuff's going to be messed up. Most of us don't want to live that way because we trust our neighbors. There's this connection between trusting our neighbors and this peace that happens between them. You see, if, if, if one of my neighbors, and I've got some great neighbors, I've got some shady ones too. I'll let you decide which ones are which. But I've, I've got some, some neighbors. Um, but if my neighbors look out their back window <laughs> and, and they see me in their fenced-in backyard, all right? And again, take pick whichever one you want to, okay? If my neighbor looks out their back window and they see me in their backyard... Their first instinct is not to call the police. Their first instinct, most of the time, hopefully, is not to come confront me with a gun. All right? At least they haven't yet. Because most of the time, they know that if they see me, it might all change right after this, all right? But most of the time, if they see me in their backyard, they know that I'm probably there to get a ball or a frisbee or a drone or something that flew over some fence and that's where it landed, that's where it ended up, okay? Most of the time, that's, they, they, they have some level of trust that if they see me snooping around in their backyard, I'm just trying to get whatever my kids threw over the fence or launch over the fence. I'm really not there to harm them. Like, I'm not trying to steal their stuff. I'm not trying to take their lawnmower or, or borrow it. Like, I'm not trying to do anything. And they know that. Right? There's this level of trust. They trust that I'm there for a good intention. And so we live peacefully together. We don't have conflict with each other. At least not normally we don't. 
But we, we have this, this level of trust that allows us to live peacefully with each other, that we don't plan harm. And so what Solomon is really saying is, listen, don't do anything that disrupts the trust of your neighbors that they have for you. Don't do anything that would cause them to question your motives or to question your intentions when they see you around. Don't give them any reason to think that you're up to something and you're trying to take something that's not yours. Don't give them any reason to question what you're doing. You see, my neighbors may have a different idea if when they looked out their back window, I was checking out their vehicles or I was seeing if their doors were unlocked or, or if I was in there like snooping around their tool shed or something. They may get a different idea. Don't do anything that's going to lead to the impression that they can't trust you. Because when they trust you, you can live peacefully with each other. So don't do anything that gives them the idea that you're taking advantage of them or you're trying to take something away from them. Do everything you can to live in a peaceful, trusting environment with each other. Don't plan harm. Don't do anything that breaks trust with your neighbor. And then the second example he gives us in verse 30 really turns the idea around. You see, in verse 30, he says, Don't accuse anyone without a cause when he has done you no harm. Right? So you see, if, there's, if I'm expecting trust from my neighbors to me, I have to reciprocate that. I have to trust my neighbors as well, which means when I see my neighbors in my backyard, I don't get to lay and blast them. I don't get to, to pepper them with buckshot or anything else. All right? One, I couldn't do that anyway because you know, city limits and all that stuff. But uh, there, there has to be this mutual respect. So one, I'm not going to do anything that, that causes them to distrust me. But the same sense, I can't just automatically distrust them. I can't just automatically make accusations against them. And i got to be honest with you, I've kind of watched society over the past few months and maybe a year or so, and i got to think this is one of the biggest hurdles that we have to overcome, is that we are so quick to make accusations against other people. We are so quick to make judgments against other people when we don't have the facts to back them up. In fact, I saw this years coming when I was a teacher. I learned when I was a teacher really quick, nobody ever lost anything. It always got stolen from them. Literally, a kid could be sitting in class, and I'm like, all right, you guys get your pencils, write this down really quick. And uh, I'm mean, almost without fail, some students like, Mr. Rake, somebody stole my pencil. And I'm like, really, they stole your pencil? Like, out of everything to steal in this whole building and in this room, a pencil is the top priority for them to steal. And I kind of made fun of them for it because it was kind of fun. You can do that as a teacher sometimes. And so they're like, yeah, Mr. Rake, somebody, I mean, it was right here. It was right here on my desk, and somebody stole it. And I was like, you mean like that pencil that's laying on the ground right there beside you? Somebody stole that pencil. Well, whoever stole it must have put it there. Like, nobody ever lost anything. And I'm like, or maybe... Just maybe, since nobody has left their seats, maybe it just rolled off your desk when you were getting your books out. You ever thought about that? No, somebody stole it. Somebody always did something. There was always an accusation. It was never easy that it just did it on its own. Or it was never easy that, it, that I did something. And i got to be honest with you, as much as I had fun with that with kids and, and, and their pencils being stolen, not lost, not misplaced, straight up stolen, the problem is... That didn't stop when some people left high school. There are some adults who still won't own up to losing something or misplacing something. It's got to be stole from them. That, that if you went to your shed or you went to your tool shed and something wasn't there, why is it that our first instinct is somebody stole it and not that maybe I put it somewhere else? Why are we so quick to judge and jump on somebody and say, well, this is what happened, this is what they did, uh, this is how to be what happened, and it's not the case at all. You see, I sit with couples 
in my office quite often, and they are so quick to accuse each other of all kinds of things, of, of being deceitful and, and doing things behind their back and doing things out of spite for each other or against each other. And, and when they bring those things up, I always have to look at them like, listen, you've been married to this person for 15 years. Is this something, like, have you always seen them to be this manipulative? Have you always seen them to be this dishonest? Have you always seen them to be this deceptive and this deceitful to you? And, and if, is this the way they've always been? And they're like, well, no. I haven't always seen them that way. In fact, I, I've never really seen them that way. And so then my question to that person becomes, if for 15 years you haven't seen them as deceitful or manipulative or trying to, to, to be spiteful, then why so quickly are you ready to judge them for that now? If you hadn't seen it in 15 years, it probably didn't just show up overnight. You don't have the evidence that you need to do that. And if you're living with, in peace with somebody, it means that we've got to be not so quick to judge people or accuse people of stuff. We've got to be slow to, to, to respond, quick to listen, but slow to speak sometimes. We've got to stop looking for reasons to mistrust somebody and start looking for reasons to trust them. Heaven forbid somebody posts something on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, without you even knowing that person, just because they quoted somebody, they're either all of a sudden a left-wing communist or a right-wing extremist. You've never even met that person. What if you just sat down and had a conversation with them instead of accusing them of all the stuff that you don't know? They just found a quote they liked. They didn't know about it. What if you just sat down and talked with them about it? You see, I think the reason that we could solve, or one of the ways that we could solve so many problems in our, in our marriages, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, is if we follow Solomon's advice, if we stop being so quick to accuse people and accuse other people of things that maybe they didn't do, maybe it was ourselves. You see, if we're going to really love our neighbors as ourselves, then we got to learn to build trust with them. we got to trust them, and they got to be able to trust us. Good neighbors are able to trust each other and allows you to live in peace with each other. See, there's a third key to being a good neighbor, and it's that we got to learn to live with contentment. Learn to live contently with what we have rather than always looking over the fence to what somebody else has. You see, this is like the advice that Solomon's been given throughout this whole passage. He, he introduces them in the negative. Right? He always says, don't do this. Right? And then we've been kind of looking at the positive. So in verse 31, he says, don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways now he's pretty specific don't be jealous or envious of a violent man really somebody who um who got what they got through oppression or through dishonest means you see this advice um is real simple you you see what they have and you want it and, and the reason he has to give us this advice is because we are so quick and i say we i'm going to include myself in this um, we are so quick to fall into this life's not fair mentality and this life's not fair theology. And the way it works is this, that I work hard for what I got. Right? And, and I do the right things and I pay my taxes the right way. I give to church the right way. I follow what God's Word says and I really do everything I can to follow God's rules and I do everything I can to be a good person and to raise my kids right and I do everything I can and still at the end of the month I'm struggling to make ends meet. Meanwhile, across the fence is some guy who is the biggest crook and biggest jerk I've ever met in my life. And he, he cheats on his taxes, he cheats in business, and nobody would ever lend him anything because he's sure not going to give it back. In fact, you better lock your stuff up at night because he may come and take your stuff. And, and so he's the biggest cheat, biggest crook I've ever met in my life. And yet look at the size of his house. Look at that new truck he drives. In fact, did you see that boat he just pulled in with yesterday? How is this life is just not fair? 
How is it that I'm trying to do everything right and this is my portion, this is what I get, and he's doing everything wrong and cheating the system every way, and look at all the stuff he's got. And we look over the fence and we say, man, if he can have that, then I should have that too. And if he can have that and lie and cheat and steal, then maybe that's the way I ought to do it. Life just doesn't seem fair for us who are trying to do the right thing. But the wisdom of Solomon says this. Stop looking over the fence for what you don't have and start looking inside your fence for what you do have. Because what you don't have is far less valuable than what you do have. What that guy on the other, fin- other side of the fence has is really not as much as he thinks it is or what he thought that it was. You see, he gives us this advice not to envy them because he's already pointed out back in chapter 1 that they really don't have all they think they have. In fact, in chapter 1, I didn't put it on the screen, verse 18 and 19 of chapter 1, you may just jot it down or underline. He says, but they set an ambush for themselves. They attack their own lives. Verse 19, such are the paths of those who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those that receive them. In other words, don't envy them because all the stuff that they're surrounding themselves with, all the stuff they got through dishonest and evil prophets, guess what? It's actually becoming a trap and it's what's going to destroy them. And so it's easy to look across there and be like, man, they got it all and I got nothing. And God says, no, no, you're, you're looking at the wrong side of the fence. What you see is a trap set for them. But when you look in your own fence, what you've got is something far, far greater than any of the stuff they've got. And according to verse 32, what you have on your side of the fence is something far better than anything they've got on there. In verse 32, he says, For the, the devious are detestable to the Lord, but he, get this, is a friend to the upright. You see, you might not have the material possessions of the wicked, but you've got something much better. What you've got is a friend, a relationship with the Creator of the universe. Not just a friend that lives somewhere close. Not just a friend that can come by and drop by and say, you've got a relationship, a friend with the One who created all the universe. A friendship with a God who speaks things into existence. A friendship with a God who literally owns the thousands on a cattle, or the cattle on a thousand hills, to quote Scripture. You've got a friend and a relationship, get this, with the God who paved the streets of gold because it was worthless to Him. Have you thought about that? We hold gold and it's so valuable to us, but when we get to heaven, our reward, the streets are what we walk on is going to be more valuable than what we have here on earth. And you've got the friendship and the relationship with the one who paves his streets with gold. Have you ever thought about that? Does that make looking over the fence a little less ideal? Yeah, he can have a boat. He can have a house. He can have a new truck. He can have all that stuff. But listen, when I get to looking on the inside of my fence, what I see on the inside of my fence is a possession far greater than any of that. When I look on the inside of my fence, I live contently because I see a God who gives me everything I've ever needed. I see a God who created everything I've ever needed for this life. When I look inside of my fence, I live contently because I have a friendship and a relationship with the God who owns everything. And I don't have to worry that it's going to be taken away overnight. I don't have to worry that it's going to be a trap and a snare and an ambush for me. Because if he gave it to me and it gets taken away, guess what? He'll give it to me again. And if he doesn't, I'm going to one day be with him and I'm going to be walking on streets of gold. Suddenly that new boat doesn't look so good anymore. I live contently with what I have and and I'm a good neighbor for it because I'm not trying to, to envy or take after somebody else because they've got what they've got. See, there's a last way that wisdom tells us that we can be a good neighbor for ourselves and it's simply this, or for others. It's that we ourselves have to remain 
righteous. Paul, or excuse me, Solomon, he shows this to us several ways in these last few verses of this chapter, but probably the most clear is in verse 33. He gives us this promise. In verse 33, he says, The Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked, but he blesses the house of the righteous. And then if you read on in verse 34 and 35, he tells you what the curse and the blessings involved. In verse 34, um, in verse 35, he tells you that the curse involves the mocking of God, which is really the pronouncement of judgment on those folks. It includes dishonor, which is really shame and disgrace. This is what awaits the household of the wicked. This is what awaits those who persistently uh, practice ungodly things. This is what persist, or awaits those who persistently reject this idea of wisdom and this idea of God. That there is, is the mocking and the judgment of God, and there's shame and disgrace. That's what awaits them. But then the blessing on the righteous, it includes two things. Grace and honor. In other words, grace and glory. It is the lifting up of the humble. The lifting to a lofty, elevated place. And you're like, well, Michael, what is, that doesn't say anything about my neighbor at all. That, what does that have to do? That's all about me and my relationship with God because all that's private, right? We don't talk about our relationship with God. But we, it's all about me and the rewards I get for doing righteous things. And you're right. It is. But I want you to back up and see a bigger picture. Because remember what we started with? That What we started with was what is it that God has put in your hands that you can use as a blessing for other people to show them kindness. And all of a sudden here at the end, guess what He's given you? A blessing of grace and glory or grace and honor. So get this, that if you are righteous... If you live righteous, remain righteous, and you live in such a way that, that God blesses you, then what you've done is you, you've been receiving what God has given you, and now you have the obligation to do that for other people. You have this obligation to see the bigger picture, that if God shows kindness, goodness, graciousness, and honors you, then you've got more to bless other people with. Do you see that? That if God gives us grace, we got more grace to give other people. If God blesses us and honors us and gives us a place of glory, we can pass that along to other people. See, what we're doing by remaining righteous is we're living a lifestyle that shows people this is what it looks like to be blessed by God. And it's not all financial. It's not all possessions. This is what it looks like to live righteous and see what it is. To show the kindness and the goodness that we have from God to show it to other people. You see, it means that if we're good neighbors, we love our neighbors and as we love ourselves. And it means we want what's best for them. And what's best for them is the same relationship and friendship that we have, that they can have it too. You see, when we are good neighbors, we remain righteous. means that we live in such a way that our neighbors, they see a difference in our life. They, they see a difference in the way we live and the way they live. They, they experience grace through us. They experience that this is what grace looks like because it's been given to us, and so we extended it to them. They see a life that is different than the rat race and the debt payments and the, the cheating and the stealing that they're used to. And they see somebody who shows them what living contently looks like. They, they see someone who shows them what living peacefully and trustworthy looks like. Because guess what? If they don't see it in us, where are they ever going to see it? Could you imagine if 200 million Americans lived in the blessings of God and passed those blessings on? And we showed the world what it was looked like to live peacefully with your neighbors. If we showed the world what it looked like to live contently within your fence. If we showed the world what it looked like to receive goodness and to pass that on to somebody else. Could you imagine if we did all these things to love our neighbor? If 200 million of us did it? 
You see, it means that we are good neighbors because we strive to live a life of righteousness so that we can get the blessings of God, so that we can pass those blessings on. You see, and I'm not just talking about your actual neighbors. I'm talking about your neighbors at work, your neighbors at school, your neighbors on the ball fields, your neighbors that are in the stands with you at the ball fields, your neighbors that you pass by every single day that you don't even know, you don't even talk to. I'm talking about those folks. That our job is to live a righteous life, to remain righteous enough so that we can receive the blessings of God, so that we can fulfill the great command to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And the roadmap is so obvious. If we want a better nation, then maybe it starts right here. If we want our nation to turn back to God, then maybe it starts right here. Maybe the answer really is as simple as the prayer that we've been praying for our nation, for our state, for our community, and even our marriage. That maybe it is just this simple that we need to show kindness. That we need to live peacefully. That we need to live contently. And we need to remain righteous. You see, when that becomes part of our DNA, then we become the good neighbors that God has always intended us to be. Then we fulfill the great command that God has told us to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray together.